0: the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll Or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign.
1: Aren't you glad that God is your shepherd, right? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. And thank you for the reminder uh, of that song that you are indeed our shepherd, leading and guiding and and, uh, and directing us. And now, Lord, help us to gather our thoughts and um, our emotions as we just come around your word. And uh, we pray, Lord, that your word will speak to us in, in fresh and, and new ways, Lord, by the power of your spirit. Thank you that we can come together and, and just uh, worship you. And, uh, and so we give you all the thanks, we give you praise, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. 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 You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's real good to be together, good to welcome you, and it's good to be able to come to, uh, to worship The Lord. Uh, Just want to let you know that next uh, Sunday we're going to be having a water baptism, water baptismal uh, service, and we have uh, at least one person who's being baptized. You know that there's another Russell here in this congregation. Uh, Not just me, but there's another Russell. He's up there. Wave, Russell. Here you go. Right up here in the in the balcony. My, my friend Russell has been on a journey over the last number of months, and God has been uh, just working in his life, and all culminating. And this past Wednesday, night, at the end of our corporate prayer meeting, uh, Russell came and wanted to pray to uh, trust Christ as his Savior. And uh, so then, yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, we started talking about water baptism. The next day, he says, "You know what? Next Sunday is my birthday, and there's no better way to celebrate my birthday than being baptized in water." And so, that's going to happen next uh, next Sunday. Good job, my friend. Good job. And so, we we'll look forward to that. You know that there are. It's a joy to see people coming to faith for the first time. Uh, you know, we, we are hoping to have another, uh, some more water baptisms at the end of, uh, at the end of uh, November. Uh, and it's a joy to see people coming to uh, faith, and we celebrate that uh, this morning. Indulge me for a moment to welcome a good friend of mine, Brad, Dr. Bradley Knoll. Uh, He's he's a fellow Newfoundlander. And so, you know, we guys have to stick together. Uh, And so, Dr. Bradley Knoll and a contingent from Tyndale. Dr. Brad is from Newfoundland, a pastor with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Newfoundland and Labrador, and uh, is the director of the Pentecostal Studies Department at Tyndale, also uh, an associate professor of Christian Christian ministry, I think. Anyway, uh, you can you can Google him and get all that right. And some other students from Tyndale, including my niece Abigail, who's here as well. So welcome all of you guys this morning to Philpott Church, and welcome to the rest of ye. Right? <laughs> it's uh, it's real good. Uh, it's real good to be together. I'm excited to begin a a new uh, preaching series today, and uh, we are beginning a journey through a book in the Bible called Philippians. Well, what is a Philippian? A a Philippian is a person who lived in the ancient city of Philippi. Some fun, or maybe not so fun facts, uh, about the ancient city of Philippi, Roman Roman colony in northeastern Greece. Philippi served as a way through between Europe and Asia, and Philippi was named after uh, Philip II of Macedonia, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Those of you who have a keen interest in history, under Alexander the Great, uh, Macedonia had literally ruled the known world, and Alexander's father, Philip, was the first to establish Philippi as a major settlement. And again, of those of you who might be of interest, that Philippi became famous for the showdown between Mark Antony and Octavian, Octavian Augustus where they defeated Brutus and Cassius, the leading assassins of Julius Caesar. Just throw that in there. But, but most, most notably for the purpose of our sermon series is that the Apostle Paul founded the first church in Europe at Philippi. And what we, what we have in our Bible is a letter that Paul wrote Around ten years after the church began, and we 'll learn more about this letter as we work through this series. You know uh, modern communication is a joy um, you know through through the means of especially you know video calls and Facetime people and modern communication is, is is a real joy and to be able to have this you know face to face encounter through through a screen is a joy, especially if you have you know family who are uh, living away and you know've I've, I've we 've had the joy you know to connect with missionaries on the field and even you know local pastors and, in in places in, in Africa and different places to be able to connect through means of communication is a real real Joy. I, I moved away from home back in 1992, graduated from high school, and then uh, went to Winnipeg uh, to do some theological training. And I remember in, in 1992. Um, you know, we didn't have the lovely modern means of communication. And it amazes me that there are people here uh, in this room that have no idea what it was like to live without these, you know, FaceTime and email and all these things. And so I'm, I'm, a young, I'm a young kid from Newfoundland, just a couple of months after graduation, moved to Winnipeg. And, of course, it was a joy to receive letters. Yeah, handwritten letters, well, that's a foreign concept to some of you, right? But we had a little, a little, mail, a little mail place in the, in the first floor of, of, our, of our institute, and it was a joy to go down there on, on a, almost a daily basis to check the mail to see if, we actually, if I actually had a letter from home. And what a joy to open up that mailbox and to see mail, whether a package or a letter that was written to me. You know it's interesting that it wasn't until 1996 that a few companies including a startup called Hotmail began to offer free use anywhere internet mail 1996 Again here's, here's another useless fact 1997 there are 10 million email users today there are 3.9 billion email users modern communication well you know what we're reading we're reading this this ancient letter written by one of the greatest Christian missionaries ever, the Apostle Paul, to a local congregation he established in the ancient city of Philippi. And as, as we approach this letter, I, I want us to appreciate how this particular letter and others like it were written, were written to communities. Were written to communities of, of faith, to to local churches. And, and if, if you could imagine with me, you know, the, the believers in this ancient city receiving word, we, we, we've received a letter from Paul. We, we've, we've got a letter from Paul and so, and so the church gathers. They gather together. They, they sit together and the letter is read aloud in this local community. And it's a good reminder that the public reading of Scripture is one of the most ancient, time-honored practices of God's people. And so we have this letter, uh, this this deeply personal letter written by Paul for a community of people and read in community. But I, I suppose our question is, well, what value does this letter have for us, I mean, what what value does this ancient letter have for us? I remember a Thursday morning, and doing a lot of the heavy lifting for this sermon, and 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 got to the point where I, I wanted a little break, and so just left here and walked down to. I don't know which direction I'm in. But anyway, I walked to Starbucks and, and, uh, and grabbed, uh, grabbed a coffee. And on the way back, you know, I'm just looking at my environment and looking around and passing people and looking at the buildings. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, reflecting upon this, a letter for us. You know, this letter that's di- written in a different era to a different people to a different time, and yet, and yet this letter, through the miracle of, of inspiration and by the power of the Spirit, these, these are God-inspired and timeless words. And, and so as we begin this journey, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us see this letter as God also speaking to us as a letter for, for, for you and for me. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to I want to begin this series by considering the backstory. And before we we dive into the actual letter, let's let's uh, go back to when this church began. And thankfully, we do have an account of how the church at Philippi began. So I'm I'm inviting if you to have your Bible or open up your Bible app, we're going to Acts chapter 16. And we have an account here in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 40. We have this account of how the church began. And how the church at Philippi began is told in a series of three stories, three narratives, three coming-to-faith stories. And so as we, as we work through these stories, uh, we'll also be on the lookout for, for themes that are going to be important in the the actual letter. There are are going to be some themes in these three uh, narratives that I think we'll see later on as we get into the substance of Philippians. So let's set the scene here by reading verses uh, 6 to 10. So Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. <laughs> so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And... A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So that kind of sets the scene for these these three stories that are to come. And I think there are two planks to the establishing of the Philippian church. Two things I think are this. First, a submission to the Spirit's leading. And evangelistic energy. I think these are two planks by which this church gets off the ground. A submission to the Spirit and evangelistic energy. So I want to point out to you that it didn't quite make sense for Paul and his team to be in Philippi. Show this map, please. If you can have a look at this, and I don't don't know how well you can see this, but if you, if you follow along in, in the text here, you know, uh, Paul and his team are, are coming up from, from, up through that green section, right? Up through, and they, and they come to Phrygia, they would come through that, that whole region, and they come now to the edge of Asia, the scripture says. And so Paul and his team says, well, it, it makes most sense now for us to go into Asia, and perhaps they had Ephesus on their minds at this particular point. And so it just makes sense. But what does the scripture say? The scripture, the scripture actually says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So then what do they do? Well, they travel northward, northwest up to Mycenae. And they get up to Mycenae, they're at to the top of that red section. And they figure, okay, now what makes sense for us to do is now we're going to go north into Bethania. And we're going we're gonna to preach the word there. But what does the scripture say? The scripture says that the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Here they are again, struggling with, with what to do next. So they say, well, we'll pass down the Troas. And it's in Troas where Paul has this, this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here. And help us, and so Paul and them have to travel by boat to get to get up to eventually to Philippi. What I want you to notice here is that we have pictured in our text we got a series of closed doors, and I think a couple of things are noteworthy here. Sometimes the process of discerning God's will comes through a series of closed doors and i think that's helpful for us all today whether you're a young adult or entering the final years of high school and you're trying to figure out what's coming next or you know you're about to enter into you know some particular vocation and you know where do i move where do i work and 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 that right up until the other stages of life. Throughout every stage of life, we wrestle with decisions, and there's so often that the process of discerning God's will comes through a series of closed doors. And I want you to know that that can be discouraging. And 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 we we can't really prepare ourselves for what that feels like for closed doors. Doors that you thought uh, were being opened to you, that you had a a good sense about, but yet for whatever reason they're closed. And that brings to you a sense of discouragement and and often pain. And and sometimes that impacts us in in various ways. You'll note in verse 6, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7, they wanted to go into Bethania, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so, friends, let's acknowledge that sometimes God works through slamming doors shut. And while it's not sometimes fun in the moment, the process, the process is for our good. It really is. May, uh, may, may God do that for us, right? Some, uh, some big decisions on the horizon about a whole bunch of things, notwithstanding our building. May, may God shut doors in, 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 in the process of us seeking to serve in God's will. Can, can we agree to that? Right? May God, may God, shut, may God shut doors. So, the second thing here I want you to notice is that the Holy Spirit is the mission's director of the church. The person of the Holy Spirit is faithful to lead and direct and empower. But how Paul and his team discern the spirit's leading in our text is somewhat of a mystery. But that's good. I mean, I mean, what do you think is really behind phrases like forbidden? by the Holy Spirit, or, or the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I mean, wouldn't you like to get behind that and just, you know, I mean, if, if you're like me, sometimes, you know, you're reading the Scriptures, and I'm reading it, and, I'm, and I stop and say, give me more details. I mean, tell me what that looks like. What, what's behind those phrases? How did the Spirit speak to them? What's, you know, what's behind the phrases? Is, is this, was this through a prophetic utterance? I mean, we know that there are people part of this team who are uh, gifted in the prophetic. Is this a prophetic utterance? Was this through um, just an, an inward prompting? Uh, was it external circumstances? But what, what's really behind these phrases? There's a sense of mystery here. But I think we can be thankful And hopeful in the fact that we serve a living God who speaks, that we serve a living, active God who speaks and directs and counsels and prompts in a variety of ways. And I really believe, friends, that people and churches who are intensely mission focused will. Hear from God, and God will speak, you know that great promise that we all love that that you know I am with you always let 's remember that that promise is given in the context of people on mission, so God, God will speak, and so the Holy Spirit is the missions director of the church, and so how persistent, how persistent are we in earnestly seeking God in prayer. How, how persistent are we in, in waiting and discerning and listening and expecting the Holy Spirit to speak? And so let us be a people who seek and who knock and ask and wait and discern and act. And so here, here in the backstory, there is there is this beautiful convergence of strategic planning along with a sensitivity to the guidance of the Spirit. And after a series of closed doors, there came a clear open door. Thank God for open doors. I'm so appreciative to God for open doors. And that's what happens here. And this open door in the text comes by way of a vision. Look at it again in verses 9 and 10. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul, after seeing the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This Do you know that God is moving across persecuted regions of our world through dreams and visions? And that there are many reports of Jesus appearing to people in dreams and visions, David Platt uh, recently had uh, this uh, simulcast called Some, "The Something Needs to Change" event, and, and it's just telling stories about about God's work in in various regions of the world. and And in in that in that event, uh, it, it was it was demonstrated or, or told how God is moving inside the Middle East with dreams and visions and personal visitations and and and, and one one Muslim man was talking. About how how this this man appeared to him night after night uh, he was he couldn't see he was so so brilliant he couldn't pick out who this man was but appeared to him and asked him to write down things and, and what what was happening is he was actually writing out the Gospel of John. God is is moving in our world through dreams and through visions, and we serve a God who speaks. And so after a series of closed doors here, there's an open door. But it it was a bit of a long, unexpected, complicated journey to get to this open door. And I began thinking about that, you know, thinking about what sustains us during this process of closed doors. I mean, what is it that can sustain us when when we we have one closed door after another? I think there are at least three things. There are many others, but these three stood out to me. I think, firstly, just trusting in Jesus. This daily trust in Jesus. I I love the line from the hymn that says, Oh, for grace to trust you more. I, I, I think there's the abiding witness of the Spirit You know, the scripture says that the spirit himself bears witness with ours that we are the adopted children of God. And then a clear and compelling vision, this this sense of of purpose. And so this raises the second plank in the establishing of the church at Philippi. And so we have this submission to the spirit's leading, but then secondly, we have evangelistic energy or evangelistic intent. And the story of the start of the church at Philippi is centered around three evangelistic intent. Three coming-to-faith stories. And so uh, we won't take the time to actually read the rest of this chapter, but let's briefly consider these, these three stories. And so the first evangelistic encounter is with a woman named Lydia. Now, we should note here that Lydia becomes the first convert in Europe. And so we might say that the man who appears in Paul's vision ends up being a woman. And Paul comes, and the first person he, that, come, that comes to faith through, through his work in ministry is, is Lydia. And so as the story is told there, Paul and his team had been in Philippi for a few days, and Paul's, Paul's usual evangelistic strategy was to begin by visiting a local synagogue. Well, there, there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, a very, very small Jewish population, and, and they didn't have the, 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 uh, enough uh, Jewish men to, to have a synagogue. And so on the first Sabbath in Philippi, they come across a, woman's, uh, a women's prayer meeting down by the river. And at this prayer meeting, there is a woman named Lydia. Lydia, we presume, is a God-fearer, a worshiper of Israel's God, but but not a Christian. She's a woman of means, a merchant, and the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. That's a great phrase, isn't it? That the Lord opened opened her heart. Aren't aren't you glad that opening hearts is not our work? Right? It's good to know that God is at work empowering us to share the good news about Jesus, but God is also at work in opening people's hearts to hear and respond to the good news. I I love what uh, Daryl Johnson says. Daryl Johnson says this about evangelism that evangelism is joining a conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with the person. I mean, just just be encouraged by that that the Holy Spirit is, is moving in the hearts and lives of people. And, and when, you, when you come in, and, and maybe through, through, through a one-on-one group or some other ministry, whether it's Alpha, with some relation, when you come into that conversation, you're entering into a conversation with that person that the Holy Spirit has already begun, right? And so Lydia comes to faith. She's baptized, and and then, of course, she opens up her home to Paul and his team, and and her home would become the gathering place with this new church. And and so the nucleus of of the church at Philippi was formed through a group of God-fearing women. And so that's something we'll be on the lookout for later on in this letter, the important role of, of, of women in, in the leadership of this church at Philippi, and we'll look for how he, he actually addresses two specifically later on in, in the letter. So, the second, the second evangelistic encounter is that, as the text says, of a slave girl, or a psychic slave girl. Paul and his team were going to the place of prayer, they meet this, this, this slave girl who was under some sort of demonic influence that enabled her to predict the future. And she was a slave in the sense that there were people uh, who were controlling her and were profiting by this ability. Well, you know, after a series of encounters, Paul, the text says, uh, cast this spirit out of this girl, which changed her life. We presume she becomes a Christian, but this impacts her owners, who not were not concerned about her well-being, but upon the profit they were making from her. And here it's good for us to remember and acknowledge that, yeah, we're in a spiritual battle. That this work that we're about, it's, it's, it, there's a spiritual battle, but we're in a battle. But we remember that God's power is superior. And and let's also remember here from this story that God can change the lives of the most tormented of people. So... The, the, these are the stories upon which the church of Philippi is established. A, a businesswoman Lydia, a young slave uh, psychic, uh, miraculously set free. And then a third, the third and final uh, story encounter here is that of a jailer. And, and this, this is a favorite scene of a lot of people. This is, this is uh, one of those stories in the New Testament that people really enjoy. As a result of their encounter with the slave girl, Paul and Silas, well, they're, they're seized, they're, they're, they're beaten with rods, the scripture says, and they're thrown in jail. They've kind of upset things in, in a significant way. And so now, the scene shifts to Paul and Silas as prisoners. And again, we, 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 we try to imagine this scene that's being described here by, by the writer. We know it's midnight we know it's, it's dark. We know Pilons, Paul and Silas are locked up. They've been mistreated. And the writer gives us a glimpse inside the prison cell where Paul and Silas are singing. And they're singing hymns to God. They're singing and they're praying. You know, every time we gather, we do a lot of singing. We're a... You know, us Christians, we're, we're a singing people. And uh, the role of song and singing is right throughout the Bible. And God God has a way of always giving you a song, doesn't he? I'm sure it's been your experience, like it's been mine, that in some of the most difficult seasons of my own life, in quiet meditation and prayer, there always seems to come a song. Sometimes it's it's the words of a... You know, a, a familiar hymn that has been a part of, of, of my life. Other times, it's a, it's a more modern song, but there always seems to be a song. There always seems to be this song that, that comes to us in some of the most significant moments of our lives. And here we have Paul and Silas pictured in this prison cell, uh, and, 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 and they're singing, and, and they're praying. And they're praying and what this scene presents us is with another theme to look out for in our journey through Philippians and that's the theme of joy it's it's the theme of joy in the midst of suffering and we will look for this theme along our journey how can we praise God in the midst of our suffering it was Tertullian who said that the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven Well, it appears that God... Was at work in this jailer's life as well, and God uses the suffering of Paul and Silas as a means of bringing this jailer to saving faith. And so, as many of you will be familiar with the account, there's this there's this earthquake. It shakes the foundation of the prison. Uh, the prisoners are set free, including Paul and Silas, and 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 the jailer comes to where Paul and Silas are, and he asks for lights, and he falls down before. For Paul and Silas and he asked this beautiful beautiful question what must I do to be saved that is a question we are praying gets asked more and more and more here at Philpott Church what must I do to be saved it's a beautiful question Wonderful, wonderful question. What's the answer? Well, um, Jailer, first uh, you need to have some things to straighten out in your life. I want you to go and, and uh, fix this and get this in order. Stop doing that. And uh, I, I want you to make sure that you're in the right theological camp uh, and that you believe all the right things and then come back next Sunday and we'll talk about it. No, that's not, not quite how the story unfolds. And, and here, here is the heart, the beauty, and the simplicity of the gospel. The answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. And if there are those here this morning, and you're wondering, you know, you've, you've been on this journey, and you're wondering, how, how can I be saved? How can I come into a saving knowledge of Jesus? Friends, here is here's the beauty of the gospel Believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The scripture scripture says that that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. The scripture says that if you if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There'll be be lots of stuff to figure out. There'll be a lot of stuff to figure out, a lot of of things to to learn as you learn to, to walk and grow in the gospel. But here is the simplicity of the message. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the person and work of Jesus because Jesus has done everything that is needed for you and I to come to saving faith. And so, this is the backstory. And I'm way out of time, aren't I? This is the backstory. But I'm, I'm still new enough that you're not going to get mad at me yet, right? Right? I mean, I'm still at that point where, you know, I'm pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that one person who agrees with that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Let's 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 land this plane. A church, a church born by submission to the spirit and evangelistic intent and energy. And the story ends up at verse 40 saying this: that Paul and Silas went out of the prison, and where did they go? They go to Lydia. They go to Lydia's house. And the others, and they encourage them. They encourage them. Man, that's the beauty of Christian fellowship, isn't it? That's the beauty of being in community. We get to encourage one another. And so, and so we, have, we have this small but growing church. Lydia? Some other ladies, a former psychic, a jailer, and his family. There's some other, some other men. And this church would grow in number, would grow through suffering. They would grow in generosity. And they would also grow in Paul's affection. Because Paul loved this church. Now, we all know you're not supposed to have favorites. But I think if Paul had a favorite, it's the Philippian church. He loved this group and we're going to find out that this is a deeply personal and affectionate letter in fact in chapter 4 Paul refers to the Philippians as my joy and my crown now I'm not sure what that says to the other churches he was involved with but he doesn't care at this point. This letter is being read to the Philippians, and he wants them to know just how special they are. This, this, this group stood by Paul like no other church. They helped him like no other church. They sacrificed for him and for the work of other churches, even in their poverty. And so this was a special people. And now, some 10 years after the church was established, Paul writes this Letter, And so we will conclude by reading just the first two verses of Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, writing to this church that he loves, his joy in his crown, says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus... Who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, Jesse, if you come up here, I'll quit. And I, I, will stop there. I will, we'll, will pick, will pick up next Sunday right from that, from that, uh, right from that greeting. But what I, what I, I will want you to notice from that greeting is that God's grace, God's grace is God's work in them to bring about what they cannot do on their own. You know, that's what God's grace is in our lives. It's God doing in us what we cannot do on our own. And so Paul says, grace to you. And what results from that is the supernatural peace of God. And that's how this letter begins. Grace to you. This recognition of what God can only do in your life and what results from that gift of grace is the supernatural peace and presence of God. And so this morning as we close, as, as, as we have at the end of our services, if, if there are those of you who would like someone to pray with you, There will be some people who will come now and be at various places around here. You'll see their their pink lanyard. And as we sing this final song and pray and as people are leaving, if you would like to come and uh, receive prayer, please come and, and speak to one of us and we'll be glad to pray with you and for you. Because we began by saying that this letter speaks to us, right? And so we're we're gathered here as a as a group of people, and, and grace has touched our lives. And even as I get to know many of you and get to hear stories, I can I, I can I can see how you know many of you are walking through some some difficult times, some suffering. And what we pray at the end of this service is that as you've been touched by the grace of God, that you will experience this week in greater measure the peace that comes as a result of the gift of grace, that this week you will grow in a greater depth of appreciation for this this peace that we cannot explain, and we pray that even now in this moment that you sense it. Yet God has moved in your life as a a gift of grace, doing in your life what you could not do for yourselves. And now the outflow of that is wonderful, precious peace in the midst of whatever it is that's going on. Let's stand. Let's stand as Jesse and team lead us in this final song. Enter into this lyric. There will be people here. I'll be here at the front for those who want us to pray with and for you. Sing for us today. And so we do thank you this morning, Lord. We we thank you that we can gather like this and we can gather around your word. Thank you for the grace and the peace that comes from you. And I pray, Lord, that each of us today as we begin another week, Lord, will experience in, in, in deeper measure the, the awareness of, of your grace and the sense of your peace. May your, may your peace guard our hearts and our minds this week. Draw us, Lord, deeper into the experience of your grace. Help us to see this greeting as not just a, a greeting written to this ancient church in Philippi, but a, a greeting to us, grace to us, and peace from God our Father. Lord, thank you. Lord, bless this church bless us together as we as we grow together as we continue to meet with you and meet with each other we just commit ourselves to you Lord for those who are here who need prayer we pray that you just meet them now in a, in a special way we thank you we praise you we're trusting you and we ask all of these things in Jesus name Amen if you like some prayers, people are leaving. Come and come and see us. God bless you, everyone. God bless. You.